Welcome to the Results Point Podcast with your host, David Smith. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Results Point Podcast. On the Results Point Podcast, we speak to successful business owners, um, in the, in the consulting and the IT space about how they can grow and scale their businesses even further. Now, today I'm talking to Dr. Paul Hulk from ICT Strategic Consulting. Now, what Paul does is he actually helps technology businesses get ready for an exit. He has been doing this for over 15 years, and he specializes in getting a great result for business owners. Now, Paul's been involved in 50 merger or acquisition projects since 2001. Now, personally, this is quite a big thing for me because I sold my business or my share in my previous business in um, 2015. And before going through the process, I didn't have a clue what was involved. And the process was actually way more painful than I thought. And I think knowing just a little bit about this process um, would have helped me navigate things better and get a better result um, at the end of the day. And the other thing that I learned sort of looking back is that business owners, um, they often work in their business and they're busy um, day to day and they don't really think about the exit strategy or they don't really think about the end game. And the thing is, is that actually planning for a business and taking the required steps for an exit makes your business more valuable and makes it um, more attractive to someone that wants to acquire it. Now, Today, we're going to cover a few things to think about in the long term, the medium term, and also talk about, you know, what sort of things you can do today um, to start, you know, systemizing your business and and planning for an exit. So, um, welcome, Paul. Hi, David. So, to Sounds sounds like you had an adventure with with your business. I've got to ask, did you use an advisor like me? Um, no, I didn't, and I actually regret not doing that. We'll have to help you next time. <laughs> yep, for sure. I think I think I would definitely get an advisor next time. Um, um, my situation was quite tricky, and I can't talk a lot about it because obviously there's all of these NDAs and things around it, but I think – um, having multiple partners and, and exiting as one of those partners is tricky. Um, and I, I mean, the only advice I can give to people from, from my experience is, you know, it's easy to get in, but it's sometimes really hard to get out. And if you can think about how to make it easy for everyone to get out, I think um, that would make things way easier and help with sleepless nights and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, we see that a lot with people when they're starting businesses, but also when they're starting with uh, ESOPs, employee share ownership programs, or giving profit shares or equity shares or things to people. They tend not to think about how that's going to unwind either when people leave the business or when they try to sell the business or when certain individuals want to try to sell. And that's something that. Uh, you need to think in the long term before you, you start doing those sorts of things. They can get very, very complicated. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and that, that's exactly the problem we had. And what's the value of that? And and how do you value that? And back when, 
when it was all drawn up, the value, the, the formula is a little bit weird, and and now things have changed, and yeah. Um, but I'm sure you see yeah. that. I'm sure you see that every day. Um, we see that a lot. I tend to deal a lot with companies in the sort of second and third tier, um, at the stage where they're really just starting to be able to share out equity and have the significant value in it that people people worry about. And a lot of those problems come up when people have uh, not seen a lot of value in the equity because the business is a startup or it's a lifestyle business or such, and then it transitions to something that has real value. And that changes the relationships between people and how they value the equity and how they see the future. And, you know, potentially if they haven't thought about those things, they're really sort of locking themselves into a, a really difficult situation to extricate from. Yeah. Um, very often, the only way to get out of that is is to sell the whole business for someone to come in and uh, you know uh, undertake a full acquisition, take out all of the shares, and, and sort of give everybody the same deal. Um, often, you know, partial acquisitions and things like that become far too difficult in that situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, just to get started, do you want to tell me a little bit about the sort of businesses that you work with? and how you assist them with getting ready for an exit? Most of the businesses I work with are uh, direct technology businesses. Uh, as I think back about it, more of them have been services businesses, either professional services or technical managed services businesses um, than have been product businesses. Um, but we handle them as well. And, and some are uh, startups. You know, I've worked with people that have built products and, you know, started for the first few years and then needed to get to the next stage. Uh, many of them are consulting type businesses or managed services businesses, SaaS businesses these days. Um, there's a whole range, but broadly everybody's connected to technology and they tend to be between oh, a million or 20 million or so in revenue. Uh, huge variation in profitability from below zero. Uh, to very, very profitable. Um, yeah, a pretty broad cross-section across Australia. So I, I tend to see a lot of the industry and, and kind of get a bit of a feel for what's going on. Uh, at the moment, as, as I think we talked about earlier, there's lots of managed services businesses I'm talking to for some reason. I don't know if that's coincidence or uh, more the time of year. Yeah, or if the industry is changing a bit with cloud and all of this stuff coming in, if if if, if there's a little bit of pressure there. To some extent, I think a lot of businesses have moved to the cloud, and a lot of businesses were very concerned about that, but uh, about potentially losing businesses as their clients move to the cloud. But for many service providers, somebody's still got to keep the desktops going and change the cables and provide that cloud service. And very few businesses I know of have moved entirely to the cloud. So I think that um, that transition has probably been a little bit. Uh, less dramatic than some people had feared. Uh, unless, yeah. of course, you're an ISV that said to move their software to the cloud. For them, it's been very, very painful. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, so we're almost ready for the new wave. <laughs> Back to servers. <laughs> so um, when when do people typically engage your services? Is that actually when they're looking to sell? And, and I guess a little bit earlier we talked about, you know, someone wanting to get out. Um, can you talk a little bit? about that? It, typically, people come to me too late. So very often, uh, people will 
speak to me when they want to sell the business and say, all right, we've been doing this for one year, five years, 15 or 20 years. Um, now I want to exit. What can you do for me? Um, and really the first thing that I can do is, is tell them about how they should have been planning for this for probably three to five years. Uh, so they could make some of the changes that, that build value into the business as well as making it saleable. Now, there are a lot of companies I've worked with because I've met them in one capacity or another, and they haven't actually engaged me, um, but I'm fairly hard to get rid of. So I've sat in on board meetings and had coffee with people endlessly over the years and in doing that, sort of help them make some decisions that lead up to them being in the right place to sell. Okay. Um, a lot of those things vary a lot depending on the, the company I'm working with, but, but there are some sort of common elements to it. And, and really, I suppose to answer your question, I'd say somebody like me, you ought to be getting involved with probably between three and five years before you actually want to exit. And, you know, talking to somebody who knows about what the ultimate goal looks like when you're starting out, you know, can certainly give you a, lo a lot of insights. Probably too early to engage somebody. Paying retainers for 20 years is probably expensive, um, but it never hurts to, to know where you're going. Yep. Yep. No, that makes sense. So yeah, basically I have to plan. You can't just say, oh, oh shit, I'm fighting with my, with my, with my employees. I'm fighting with my, I don't like this business anymore. Um, I want to get out and then starting that. How long does that process take? If someone normally, I mean, I mean people say they engage you too, you say people engage you too late. Is it sort of from engagement to, to, to sale? How long is that if it had to happen today without having to sort of, with no planning? Yeah. Well, that comes up very commonly uh, some of the time because people don't talk, look to engage somebody like me until too late. But about half of businesses that sell um, are sold on some sort of emergency basis. So, you know, it's not, um, it's not your decision to sell, but your wife or your accountant or your doctor is telling you it's time to sell and and that actually is about half of businesses and when people are unprepared that can really cost them a lot frankly but once we get started once you pull the trigger as they say the the project plan will run to about three months time but in actual practice there's always some delay or other and inside of six months is usually usually about where we get a deal done okay so that's still that's still pretty impressive. <laughs> I think in my experience, yeah, that's that's not too bad. Um, if we go back to why someone should plan and, and what happens in that sort of three to five year period, um, can you can you talk a little bit about that and the sort of things that people should be thinking about? I mean, the first Absolutely. thing that the first thing that comes to mind is often a business is all around the owner. And the owner does sales, marketing, and everything else, and he's like very deeply entrenched. I'm assuming one of the things is sort of getting the owner out to work. You know, they talk about work on the business instead of in the business, but also extracting themselves where they don't even have to be involved or show up, possibly, right? Um, indeed, indeed. In probably three quarters of the transactions I handle, the goal is actually for the principal to retire or to do something else or focus on other interests. And in that case, they've got to get out of the business. And the sooner they start setting the business up to operate independently of themselves, um, the, the more able a, a buyer is going to be to see that it isn't critically dependent on them. 
probably probably seven times out of ten, the principal is going to stay around for a period of time. Uh, you know, either for a short handover between three and twelve months, or often the buyer is going to say that this is a person who's capable of building the sort of business that they want to buy, and they're going to be keen to try and get that person working for them and and keep building in in sort of future years. So often they'll try and engage the principal on some sort of contract with you know beneficial upsides and bonuses and things like that, and in the hope that they're going to enjoy playing the game on the larger stage. Now, a fair few of the transactions that I handle are not people looking for an exit, but people who've been building for sometimes many years, sometimes a few years, but they've gotten to a level where the business is a bit of a plateau. And rather than trying to sell out, what they want to do is sell up. So they're looking for a big brother company who can take their business onto a new level, often give them a sales and marketing budget that they didn't have, or give them access to resources, or them into a new geography or bring other products and services to the mix so that, you know, instead of struggling to to build their $3 million revenue business, they can be part of a $15 million revenue business that allows them to access bigger clients or bigger deals or whatever it is. And in, in those cases, principles are staying in. But at the same time, it's critical that they not be central to every part of the business. Because if the business is just about one person, and particularly if it becomes a bit of a lifestyle business as a result, uh, the value is a lot lower to somebody who's going to require it. And when I say a lifestyle business, I mean one that generally doesn't grow. It tends to be limited to doing the things that the principal wants to maintain their sort of a lifestyle, and they don't tend to be very aggressive. Often we see companies like that just don't have the sales and marketing in place to grow, and you know, they'll try and, and replace customer churn if they have a SaaS or an MSP type customer base. But they're really not out there to, to build the kick goals and add in a zero to their revenue. And that's one of the most important things. Having the sales and marketing capability to grow takes a business and puts it in a whole new category of value. You know, if you have a stable customer base that you've had for 10 years, that might be interesting to a buyer who's an exact complement to you when they can see the revenue and margin that they'd be taking out of their customer base, but that's really all. But if you've managed to grow the business by 20, 30, 50, 100% each of the last, say, three years, that buyer is going to be paying for growth, and they pay a lot more for growth than they do for assured earnings going forward. Um, and that's really the other key, having a solid sales and marketing base independent of the principal that will assure a buyer that the business is going to continue to grow and, and they help their business grow. Particularly in the IT industry, I'd say that's the area where businesses fall over the most. And the thing I'm asked for the most by buyers, you know, particularly strategic buyers who have a business and want to buy a business to add to it, they're really looking for somebody that solved the sales and marketing problem. You know, a lot of people have sold the, solved the delivery problem or have a, a great product but they really need people who can sell. They're far and away the shortest supply in the industry. And if you crack that, you've added a lot more value to your business than a, a bit of growth or a slightly better product. That's really what everyone's looking for. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. And can do you have any do you have any sort of metrics around how much more an acquirer is prepared to pay for a business that has sort of a sales and marketing machine running? 
Um, it varies a lot by size, but for a business that's gotten past, say, three or four million in revenue, um, you might be looking at the difference between, say, two and a half to three and a half times revenue up to five or six times uh, EBIT, sorry, up to five or six times EBIT. So, you know, that can really sort of pull the value of the business. Now, we talk about EBIT multiples and, and really, you know, we seldom really look too much at a multiple uh, in doing the deal. What we tend to argue about a lot is the EBIT that we're multiplying it by. And the big difference there is that when you've got a business that's growing and, and looking forward, people are going to multiply by next year's EBIT or the year's EBIT after that. And put, you know, they may put in place forward-looking deals where you'll have an earnout over the next two or three years. Uh, and there's a lot of risk in that, but they can be far more lucrative than when someone's paying you even a similar multiple of last year's revenue. And that's what they'll tend to do if you're more consistent. So if you've had flat revenue and flat profitability for three years, that's that's really what uh, what you're going to be paid for. But if you can manage to make it grow, you know, over the course of a couple of years and have a defensible forecast, you know, I'd say that easily doubles the value of the business. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. It's also, it's interesting that you mentioned that these people want to sell up and that you're doing quite a few deals with that because the first thing that comes to mind when someone wants to sell up is that means they don't really want to put in the risk of, you know, having to invest in in a new product or in sales and marketing. They'd rather have the new company take that over. But then, but then I guess you pay for it. Um, by by not having that because you they'll basically discount the sales the, the price that you'll get for the exit is that correct um to some extent to some extent um i think it's it's really all about the puzzle pieces that you bring and the pieces of the puzzle that that a new parent company has to bring and you know if you can bring the, the key sales and marketing element to it you know if you know the industry and own it and have that machine in place um, the others are, are much easier pieces of the puzzle to have there. But, you know, if you've got a business that's growing solidly on its own, you know, there's a lot of value built into that. And as well, there's a lot more folks that can buy it because if, if you want to sell up, you want to become a part of something larger, but you desperately need, for instance, someone who can sell your product or you need a complimentary service, there are relatively few uh, potential buyers who can do that transaction because you're limited to people who have that uh, that critical element that you need. Yeah. But if your business is effective and growing as a standalone business, then anyone can come in and, and buy that and see the growth continue. So having a bigger stable of buyers, you know, tends to be much more competitive and, and that can add significant value to the business as well. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so if people are thinking about um, exiting and sort of, I guess, getting ready for the exit, you've basically, we've got sort of these three areas to think about long term, where do I actually want to be? What's the goal? Um, and then obviously, it's hard to get there, the medium term, and then what do I have to do today? And, and how do I execute that? Do you just want to sort of cover cover those points and just give people an idea of what they should be thinking about? And and what they should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. 
the long-term medium, and I'll call it the immediate term where we're actually starting the process, they're, they're sort of very different perspectives. In the, in the long term, it's really about positioning the business so somebody will want to acquire it and they can acquire it. And that's setting your long-term goals to be for the level of growth that you can achieve, being in a particular area that's in demand, even though that's very difficult to predict more than three or four years out. Um, uh, yes, and as well, focus is probably the critical one I need to mention there. And it's important to realize that somebody who's going to be buying your business is really going to buy one thing. And I tend to tell people that until you've got roughly $10 million in revenue in Australia, you really can't afford to do two things. So the more focused you keep your business better and the more value is going to be in it. Now, those critical elements sort of underpin the long-term strategy. And the longer you build around that, you know, the more value you're building in. And this is where extricating the principle from the business so that, you know, you build the business to stand on its own two feet and grow and build over the long term. You know, that's where that really becomes a, a driving underpinning principle. In the medium term, and we're talking here about the sort of three to five year horizon that a buyer is going to be looking at in the business. You know, when we show someone an information memorandum, they're going to see the last three years accounts and performance. And, and that's really what they're going to judge the business based on. So you really need to make sure that those things look as good as they can. And, you know, often growing the business for three years is something that's more easy to do than potentially making it grow steadily over 15. So to the extent that you're choosing to make investments, you know, if you're three, three years out, say, from seeking an exit, it's probably not the time to make an a, a investment that's going to take 10 years to pay off. And in this kind of realm, what I tend to tell people is just to think about any sort of growth initiative or investment initiative is paying off along that sort of elongated S-curve where you make the investment and you don't see much benefit from it for a while, but then the benefits start to accrue and ramp up and more and more steeply, and then they tend to reach an inflection point where the benefits are tailing off and you're starting to, to be milking it a little bit, and then they tend to level off, and after it might be one year or three years, you stop getting additional benefit from it, and you need to, to look at the next initiative. Well, the right place to be selling your business is when you're about a third of the way up that curve. So you want to start choosing and timing your investment so that they're really starting to pay off, but you haven't actually put all the benefits in the bank by the time we go to sell the business. And that's because a buyer wants to see, on the one hand, proof that the business is growing and the initiatives you put in place are really paying off. But on the other hand, a future that has more growth to come. So you don't want to put all the benefits in the bank before you're going to sell it. But you do want to have proof that they are going to pay off. Yeah, okay. Now, in the immediate term, this is a lot more about running the process. And once we've decided that we're going to sell, you know, we've got a whole lot of tasks to undertake that are part of the process. And what's really important here is that, well, to... to toot my, uh, my own and my industry's horn here a little bit, is that you use an outside advisor. Too many people tend to get caught up in writing information memoranda and having meetings with potential buyers and all of those things that have to take place, and they take their eye off the ball. Their revenue starts to either stop growing or diminish, or profitability suffers. 
And by the time we're negotiating an actual transaction, the business doesn't look nearly as good as it did when we started the process. Yeah, and now Keeping the buyer has leverage. Four, five, six months later. Yeah, and now the buyer exactly. has leverage. Exactly. And, and when you do this yourself, and, and I think, David, you saw this when you went through the process, I'm guessing. You know, doing it yourself is a limited amount of time you can spend on it. You know, you're not going to write as, as comprehensive an information memorandum as I can. You know, I'm sure you're good at it, but I'm quite good at it. Yeah. You're not, as a result, going to be able to talk to 100 or 200 potential buyers. And you're probably not going to be able to handle a dozen simultaneous negotiations because you've got a business to run. Yeah. And as well, you know, it's your business and you're selling yourself. And that's emotionally a lot harder. Somebody from the outside you know, like me or, or some of the other guys who do this can be a bit more dispassionate in talking about your business and, and about you. And, you know, that has a lot of benefit. But really the biggest thing is you've got to keep the business running and revenue coming in and growth coming in through the whole process. And that's that's really the key thing. Um, so, yeah, operationally, that's, that's probably the biggest thing in the immediate sense. We can talk a lot more about the documentation you need and how the process works if you want to. That's, um, it tends to be pretty elaborate. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I was mostly just thinking sort of what people should think about because, yeah, I mean, you don't, I, you don't always think about that. And I mean, even with medium term, medium term is sort of long term, right? Like if you just knowing the sort of things to think about. And I do, like I said in the intro, I do think that the mindset of setting yourself up for an exit is actually just good for general business practice in terms of systemizing and moving yourself out of the business and, you know, and, and growth and setting up your sales and marketing processes. Um, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense and people don't often think about that. Um, just quickly in terms of like ex the actual sales process, just, can you just briefly is there is there there's sort of a step by step process that that you sort of go through, right? Yeah. Um, there's really two processes. I tend to use one of them, um, and there are a lot of people around who use a different method. The easiest way for an advisor and, and often for a principal to put a deal together is to talk to the people that they know and float the idea, see what sort of a response you get back and have a conversation that eventually leads to talking about valuations and deal structures and, and these sorts of things. Now, that one-on-one -on -one approach um, works very well if you're absolutely unique and if there are only two or three potential buyers out there. You know, if your technology is so specific to a particular industry or, or a particular part of the industry or your size means there's only a couple of people that are viable, um, that's a great way to go. I tend to work with businesses that are a lot more flexible. You know, if you're a managed services provider, there's oh, hundreds to thousands of potential buyers in Australia. And the process I use is really about trying to talk to as many of them as we can to see if we can find the folks who really have the keenest need to buy the business and, and consequently are willing to pay the most for it. So the way I go about that is pretty simple. You know, the first piece is putting together an information memorandum. Uh, almost all deals tend to have a document like this. It's basically what we, we can give to somebody to look at the business and it gives them enough background 
to understand a little bit about the business, where it's positioned, the size it is, and, and decide if they want to have a closer look at it. I tend to do these pretty extensively. Uh, they tend to run anywhere from 40 to 60 pages because they're designed to give someone enough information and enough confidence to actually value the business and actually propose a deal before they've gotten in and, and had meetings with the principal and the team. Um, if you're working with a very limited audience, you don't need to put so much in there because you can afford to have a meeting with them. Um, now, putting that information memorandum together is also the process of starting to pull together the data that you can for the due diligence process, which is really everything about the business um, for at least the last three to seven years, so that people can you know, look at everything there is and make sure they've found all the skeletons in the closet. Um, Starting that early in the process is important because some things may take you some time to work out, either with your lawyer or with your accountant or finding your records or bringing them up to date. So it, that can take us a few weeks' time or uh, often four to six weeks' time. Okay. Uh, from that document, we also put together a couple of other pieces, uh, a couple of paragraph teaser that we can use on a no-names basis to let people know what we're looking at and see if they're interested, uh, non-disclosure agreements. Those are probably the three key ones to start with. And then we put together a long list. And this is the long list of prospects who we need to approach about this. And we put together the whole list so that we can go to get to all of these people at once. It's important to manage the process when you're dealing with 100 or 200 prospects that you get, in, get them going through the process at the same time. The other process where you deal potentially serially with one or two or three people, um, that can take a lot of time because you tend to investigate one deal until that falls over, then look at another deal with someone else, and eventually you'll you'll get a deal. <laughs> I wondered how you got your deals done, just getting them done in six months. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, pretty heavily structured, and the real focus for me is when we're selling a business, I really like to have maybe a dozen indicative offers put on the table. But the real key is having them on the table at the same time. So often I find vendors in the situation where they've got an offer from someone, but uh, they have to ask the question, gee, is this the best offer I could get? Should I take this or should I keep looking? Yeah. And what I want to do is get out to as wide a cross-section of the audience as I can to see all of the options and have all of the options on the table at the same time, you know, to decide between. It's not an easy decision then either because deals and deal structures tend to be quite complicated. And, you know, is it better to take, you know, $5 million today on a walkout basis or $10 million over five years' time where you have to work in the business and some of it may be in shares and some of it may be in earnout, some of it's in cash up front. And evaluating those things can be pretty non-trivial. Yeah. You know, and and once we get through making a decision on the, the indicative offer, we've got the whole process of negotiating contracts and sale and purchase agreements and all of that to go. So that's where things get very complicated. Yeah, and, but at uh, least if all the it deals to be a less formal process. Yeah, but at least if all the deals are on the table at the same time, it helps. It's easier to pick one. There's also leverage between them, right? 
Absolutely, absolutely. When we start getting indicative offers out, we quite shamelessly play them off against each other. You know, and it's critical to be upfront and honest about what you're doing at that point. But the more demand there is, you know, the more that uh, influences the price and influences the terms and the deal structure, and the more likely you are to get what you want out of it. Often, of course, the hard part is for principals to know what they want. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, yep, that makes sense. So I was just, if there's one piece of advice that you can give people, um, what would that be? Um, the one piece of advice, the people who are starting out aiming to sell their business in, in four or five years' time, I'd say focus on setting the business up in a clear, simple line of business that you can sell. Build yourself a selling and marketing engine as well as a delivery platform and such that's effective and will continue to grow. If you can grow consistently over the next three to five years, particularly if you can do so profitably, you know, whatever area you're in, that's a valuable business. I'd say that's probably the biggest thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And making other than of course using a qualified advisor like me. <laughs> <laughs> and and talking about a qualified advisor, where can people um get a hold of you if they have questions or if they want to reach out to you? Um all my details are online, either through LinkedIn, there's Paul D. Halk, or the website is www.ictstrategicconsulting.com. Um, yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. Google does a pretty good job these days. Yep, yep. Well, um, thank you very much, Paul, for um, for that information. I find it absolutely fascinating, and I, and I think not enough people, they're too busy working in their business they don't really think about you know where they want to go what they want to do and then and then what yeah like you said unexpectedly they have to sell and and the message that i get is basically if if, if everything's in order and your business is systemized it just makes that process way way easier and and there's people out there that can actually go and spruik your business for you and and get you various deals on the table um, and, and, and make that process pretty easy.